Father, you are indeed good. God, may you always be the wind in our sails and the anchor in our waves. God, may you always be the fire inside our veins and the echo of our days. God, may you always be that because you will never, ever let us down, and we are so thankful for that. God, we praise your name for the fact that you are so incredibly good. We are so incredibly undeserving, God, but you are so incredibly good, and we praise your name. So right now, God, may we worship you not only as we sing your praises, God, but as you change our lives, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. God, uh, your spirit overwhelms us and it moves our hearts and, and stirs our hearts, but so does your truth. So right now, as we open your word up and we look at your truth, I pray that we are forever changed. I pray that our lives are no longer the same, that we reflect the image of God more and more each day as you continue to use the Holy Spirit to stir us and awaken our souls to your truth. So God, right now, do that powerful work that only you can do. Receive glory as your people tune into your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So... uh, We are continuing our study of Esther, and today we'll be in Esther chapter 7. You remember what I said about uh, the, the name Esther means something hidden. It literally means something hidden. And what we see in the book of Esther is we see that God is never mentioned. The name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. And there are some people that believe that that book should not belong in the Bible because it does not mention the name of God. Well, the reality is what we have seen is we have seen the glory of God through the life of Esther, through the surroundings, the the situations of Esther, and, and God is there. Even though he may be hidden, even though it may not be immediately evident that God is there, we see the truth. And looking back at the book of Esther, we see that God is indeed there. Even though he may be hidden, he is there. And so many times in our lives, we are this way, aren't we, though? I mean, we're like, God, where are you? All right, Lord, I need you to come through at this particular time, at this particular moment. I need you. You got to show your face. I need you, Jesus. Okay, right? Like, you ever been there in that situation? I know that we all have. I was in that situation yesterday. Somebody gave me a little chuckle. So yesterday, I went skydiving, okay? So judge me, criticize me, whatever you want to do. Throw tomatoes at me, whatever. I didn't bother me. Um, I enjoy things like skydiving. I enjoy uh, the, just the excitement of doing things adventurous. I just do, okay? So I went skydiving yesterday. Me and Kayla and Dawn and uh, Mike and then uh, Carrie, uh, Kayla's younger sister who also plays keys for us sometimes, she was there. She went skydiving too. So it was like five of us. We went skydiving yesterday, okay? So yeah, you can criticize me if you want to. Uh, just send me a letter. Don't, don't come up to me and tell me about it. You can criticize me via letter. So anyway, um, so I went skydiving yesterday. And uh, so my dude that was, I went tandem, so I had a guy on my back, you know, and he's the one that's flying us back in and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and he was a very excited guy, and I appreciated that about him. He was a very adventurous guy, and I liked that. And, and we were jiving, and we were, like, laughing and stuff. And, and so we're, we're, we jump out of the plane. He's like, you want to do a backflip? I was like, yes, let's do a backflip out of the plane. So we do a backflip out of the plane. I'm, I know, it's crazy, right? So we actually, he goes, all right, so go 45 degrees like this. When we jump out, we'll actually turn and do a backflip. So that's what we did out of the plane. It was a ton of fun. And we were going down, like, and, and I was like, he was like, woo! And I was like, woo! You know, and it was great. 
And, and you know, we're falling at 125 miles an hour, and, and it is just amazing. So then he would take my hands, and he would like push one hand down, and we would start spinning this way. And then he pushed his hand down, we start spinning that way. And I was like, woo, this is great, you know. I love the free fall part of it. And, and, and so it was amazing. And then he put my hands down and we'd lean down and then we'd rock back and forth. And it was cool. It was really cool. And then it comes time to pull the chute. So, um, so the free fall, when you're skydiving, only lasts about 60 seconds. It's between 45 and 60 seconds. We're in an altitude of 14,000 feet. So that's about how long the free fall lasts. And it is the most adrenaline a junkie rush of your life, and, and I enjoy it, okay? So anyway, so it comes time to pull the chute, and, and I know what it's like because I've done it once before, so this is my second time jumping, and I know what it's like when they pull the chute. It, it jerks you and, and yanks you, and you kind of stop all of a sudden, right? So I know that. Well, this time when he pulled the chute, it didn't go exactly like that. So what happened was I got a little bit of a jerk, and we slowed down some, but not like we're supposed to slow down all the way, right? So... And, and there's a d definitive sound that happens when the chute opens completely. We didn't get that sound. We didn't feel the jerk. What had happened was our chute was entangled somewhat, um, not to a large extent, but to somewhat of an extent. Okay, the good news is that you have a reserve chute that deploys on its own with your altimeter at like 5,000 feet. It deploys on its own, right? Like, that's good news. All right, so we got a backup. That's good news. The bad news about that is if you've got a tangled chute above you and that uh, reserve chute deploys, it's going to get tangled in that main chute that's up there and it's entangled, right? So I tried not to look up at the chute, even though I knew what was happening because we were still falling way too fast. Um, I just kind of let him do his thing, and, and so he yanks on it, pulls on it. Sure enough, the chute fully deploys, and we were all good at that point in time because I'm still here, right? So I'm here for Sunday morning, so obviously something went right. Um, so anyway, but in that moment when I, I felt the tug, but not the full tug, and I got a little bruise right here from those harnesses and all that, but um, I, it, I felt the tug, and I, and I was thinking, God, where are you? <laughs> Lord Jesus, if, uh, if you're up there, now would be a really good time for you to, I don't know, tug on the chute or something uh, to try to come through. I really need you to come through at this moment in time and, and to be very prophetic about it. Uh, Kayla had texted me like the day before, like, I'm so excited about going skydiving. Aren't you pumped? I was like, yes, I am. It's going to be a good day. And, and, and like, I was like, the good news, I said, worst case scenario is we'll get to meet Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, so that's worst case. And she's like, I know either way, it's going to be a good day, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it is. And, and I didn't know that, that I was being prophetic there and going, okay, well, I may actually meet him today. You know, that was the first thing that popped into my mind when I heard that shoot and how it was kind of rattling in the wind up there. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to find out if you're there or not. You know what I mean? I really want you to come through right now, but I'm going to meet you in just a minute. It's going to be cool. So anyway, I had to tell you that story. You know that no pastor can go skydiving without actually having the story that comes out of that, right? So I had to tell you that story. But in our lives, so many times, man, we get in this place where something's going on or bad things are happening or, 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 or you need some clarity on something, you're like, God, where are you? I'm just begging you to be there. Be very present in my life. Be very real in my life. And sometimes he just feels so hidden. Well, what we have seen in the book of Esther is God is orchestrating all these things behind the scenes. There's all these wicked, evil people that are doing stuff, and there's some godly people that are trying their best to be obedient to God. And like at some point, they got to be asking themselves, where's God? Because what has happened is Esther's become queen. She is actually an Israelite. She is a Jew. So she has become queen of Persia. The, the Jews have been exiled into Persia, and one thing led to another. Esther has become queen of Persia. 
And, and King Xerxes, who's the king of Persia at that point in time, he, he's, you know, he's influenced by some, ne- some negative people, some prideful people, including this main guy. His name is Haman. Haman really dislikes a Jew, so much so that there's this one dude, Mordecai, who happens to be Esther's cousin, who's actually taking care of Esther and like adopted her and been taking care of her her whole life. Um, he, he really dislikes him, and he ends up, because, because Mordecai won't bow down to Haman, he erects this pole in his front yard that's 75 feet tall, and his plan is to have, to have Mordecai impaled on this pole. See, that's what they did in Persia as a way to punish you, you know, instead of crucifying you or hanging you with a rope, what they would do is they would just impale you on a pole and they would leave you up there uh, until you died because you didn't have enough water or food and then you would begin to rot up there and the birds would come and eat your flesh and they would just leave you up there until your skeleton fell down. They just had to put you up there and then you would come down eventually because you would just rot away and you would fall off the pole. I know that's very gruesome and grotesque, but that's exactly the way they did it in Persia. And, and this dude, Haman, had decided that this is what I'm going to ask the king to do to Mordecai. Now, what he doesn't know is that, that Mordecai has actually saved the king's neck at some point in the past. He's actually prevented an assassination of the king. And then the king, what he doesn't know is that the king has this, has this plan like, we need to, to rectify this situation and, and celebrate the fact that he was never praised for what he had done. So, so then, he, he, what does he do? We read last week this whole thing where... Um, Haman's out in the, in the front courtyard there, and the king Xerxes is there, and he's like, what do we ever do to celebrate Mordecai for doing this? And like, we didn't really do anything. So he says, who's out there in the courtyard? Oh, Haman's out there. So he grabs Haman, like, what would you do to celebrate somebody that had done something great for this king? He's like, man, he's got to be talking about me. Like, I'm his right-hand man. You know, if he's going to celebrate somebody, he's going to celebrate me. So he says, man, I put him on a horse. I get the king's horse or the king's horse's badge and, like, the king's robe and throw that on him. And I would walk him around town with a noble screaming about, this is what the king does for somebody who has honored the king. This, is, this guy is the man, you know. He's like, good. Go do that for Mordecai. You know, and we read how funny that was last week. Like, he was the one that had to lead Mordecai around the town yelling about how good this guy was. This is Haman's, like, worst enemy. And he had all these plans to have him impaled on a pole, and now he's got to go shouting to everybody how awesome the guy is. And we, t- I mean, that was, it was hilarious to kind of look at that and the way thing, God's just orchestrating things and the way things, like, the, the way God says he uses the, the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, I mean, it's a perfect picture of that. You know what I mean? Like, like, like Haman thought that he was just the smartest guy in the world, and God said, you're not smarter than me. And sure enough, sure enough, what do we see here? We see something's about, something bad's about to happen to Haman. Something really bad is about to happen to, with Haman. And, and as we question in our lives, sometimes is God at work, is God doing something? We have to remember that God is constantly at work, that nothing happens outside the sovereign hand of God. And although things don't work out necessarily the way we see them as they should work out, that doesn't mean that God's not at work. If, if, that, if that parachute hadn't opened yesterday, you know what? That doesn't mean that God is not at work. What that means is that my time here being your pastor was going to be over and somebody else was going to step up and be your pastor. I have no doubts about that. I, ha- I have no worries about that. Does that thing make, the, make it seem like I should do something foolish? No. Does that mean that I should live my, si- my life locked in a basement because you know, I don't want to do anything that might remotely cause me harm? No, I don't believe that either. I believe we're supposed to live our lives and trust that God has a plan. That's what I believe we're supposed to do. And that's what I, I try my best to, to do every single day. And, and here we see Haman has got this plan that 
He was going to ask the king to impale him on a pole. His, his boys come back to him and said, no, you shouldn't do that. It's not, a, it's not a good idea to do that right now. It's not going to work out so well if you try to do that. And that's where we kind of see ourselves at, at this point in time. It says, while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived quickly and took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. So this is a second banquet Esther had prepared for Haman, who was the king's right-hand man and the king himself. And the king's already been asking her, like, what is it you want, Esther? Just tell me what you want. I know that you got all these, you know, you got the wine flowing and you got my favorite meal cooked and all that. But what is it that you're after, you know? And here we see, all right, she's like, okay, well, just, just come back. Come back tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, she, she's put him off a couple of times. She's like, just come back tomorrow and we'll talk about this thing some more. So she's, she's buttering him up, if you will. You know, that's kind of what's going on. And that was their culture. And that's the way they did things. So she's getting him ready. And she's also, I believe, trying to discern the will of God and trying to, all right, God, give me some clarity. What's the next steps here? What's the next steps? And we talked about that last week, how we're supposed to understand the details from God in those steps. Even though he gives us the bigger picture, we're all supposed to be tuned into God's voice so we know what the next step is in our life. So here we see that. We see uh, Haman has gone to now have dinner with the king and queen. And he must be feeling pretty good about himself. Okay, so I had to to walk Mordecai around and, and like yell how awesome he was and he was my sworn enemy, but I, I had to do that. So, But the good news is the, the, the day is still young and I get to go and I get to have dinner with the king and the queen. I'm still the man, you know what I mean? Like, like he may have gotten to, to walk around with, with, a, with a horse and all that, but, but I'm still the man. I'm still his right-hand man. So it, it's, it's going to be okay, you know, and a prideful person, when, when they're always looking for some way to glorify themselves. So I'm sure he's probably looking for some way to say, all right, all right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back up. I'm going to dust myself off a little bit. I'm, 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 I'm going to get back up. I got dinner with the queen and the king today. So, hey, let's not forget, I'm still the man just a little bit here. So in Esther chapter 7, this is where we find ourselves. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, man, they drink a lot of wine, by the way, you know. So drinking wine, the, the king uh, again said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you if it's half the kingdom. So once again, he's reiterating just how important Esther is to him. He loves the queen, man. He is all about the queen. Uh, apparently, she's really hot, and he is all about her. And he is like just, that's not the only reason he's all about her, but I think the, the evidence is that she's hot, okay? I'm not saying that's the only reason, but I'm just saying like that's part of the reason. But anyway, so <laughs> that's right. Send your letters to... Moving along, verse 3 of chapter 7, Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. Now, now you've got to understand something here for just a second. The king is a little bit confused because he does not know she's an Israelite yet. He doesn't know that she's a Jew, and then on March the 7th, the next year, she's supposed to be killed. He doesn't know that. He doesn't have any idea that she's a Jew. So when she says this, he's got to be a little confused and like, what? What, what do you mean? Like, like, and then, but then he, she goes on to say, the lives of my people be spared. So he, he, he's probably going to eventually put it together, but she's going to spell it out for him a little bit. But look what, what the way she does things. He, 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 she says, if I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request. So she comes to him with a request. She's asking for help with something. Let me tell you something. This is a little practical advice for you in the world today. So one of the things that I have learned 
is that when you, you have somebody that, that you need something from them, the best way to go about it is not to demand it from them, obviously. That's never a good way. But it is to first approach them with the statement. Let me tell you, this is just advice from Kenny, okay? Approach them with this statement. Hey, I need your help. I need your help. Just think about how quickly that disarms somebody and how more in line they are to help you out with whatever it is that you need. If you just immediately, humbly approach somebody and go, I need your help. And you're saying, I can't do this without you is what you're saying, right? I need your help with something. Now, some of you are going, he said that to me yesterday, you know, but it's a great way to approach somebody. Am I right? Like, I, I, I need your help. And, and that's exactly what, what Queen Esther is doing. He, he, the king is saying, all right, you're making a request. You, you, you've got something on your mind. Now, remember, she's gone in front of the king. She's risked her life to go in front of the king already. Because if, you don't go in, if you're not invited to go in front of the king and you just go in front of him, you're risking your life. That we actually saw King Xerxes tilt his scepter towards her to say that you're welcome to come in, which is like almost unheard of. That, that somebody would, especially a woman, would approach the king and he would grant her the grace to come and, and make a request to the king. He's the king and he's all powerful. And in Persia, man, once you make a law, once you make a decree, you don't go back from that. And that, that, that's what's been made is this decree that all the Jews are supposed to die on March the 7th. And what they said is all the Persians, you can kill them and you can take their possessions, you can take their land. And, and the, the Persians are like, that's a good plan, man. I'll just kill them off. There's a little piece of land over here I like. And I was going to put a nice little, little summer home over there and then I can just take it. That's, that's a good plan, you know. The kings in Persia and their laws, man, they, they were strong and they were serious and it was no joke. That's why when Queen Vashti, when, she, when the king said for you to come here and she didn't respond, she said, no, I'm not going to, that was it. She was taken off the throne. She was tossed out of the kingdom. She was done. So it's a very serious deal when you make a request to the king, and it is a very serious deal. I want you to understand the gravity of the situation, this time and in this culture, for her to be making any kind of request to the king at all. And the fact that the king is like, I will give you up to half the kingdom if that's what you desire. And she still approached, I mean, like you would think after he said that like three times, she would be like, oh yeah, well, here's what I want. Let me tell you what I want. See, that dude, dude Haman over there, I want you to kill him. But that's not what she does. That's not what she does. She approaches him gently and says, I need your help. Spare my life and spare the lives of my people. Let's listen to what she goes on to say. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves... I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. She says, if we, if we had just been captured by you and we were just your slaves, I wouldn't even be approaching you with this request. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. My people and I, we're supposed to die. This decree that you've made, this law that you've put into motion means that I'm supposed to die and my people are supposed to die. The Jews are supposed to be annihilated. What does the king say? I think we get a little bit of insight in here. He's not real good at putting the puzzle pieces together, right? So he goes, who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Uh, and she goes, uh, well, the reality is it's, it's him, right? It's King Xerxes, the one who put this law into place. It's King Xerxes 
who's, I mean, yeah, he, he was influenced by Haman, but he's the one that, that made it law, right? He's the one that gave his signet ring to Haman and said, all right, make it happen. And, and so he's the really one at fault. He's looking around and saying, who would do this, man? Who in the world would do such a thing as to harm you? Now, she's got a real opportunity here to manipulate the king, right? But that, that, that's, that's not exactly the way she approaches things. She says, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. So she could have pointed the, the finger at King Xerxes for putting it into law, but she's like, I want you to know what has happened here. And she divulges the fact of what Haman has plotted. This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. So I want you to understand in the original text, this is a very, very strong accusation. This is really pointing the finger at him in such a huge way. She's trying to divert attention away from the king and towards Haman. And so she's like, she's pointing the finger at him in a very strong and intentional way here. Haman freaks out. That's what it says in Esther chapter 7, verse 6. Haman freaks out. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. So you can imagine, like, the queen has just said that Haman desires to kill the queen. Like, Haman is the one that desires to kill the, king, the, the, the queen because she is an Israelite, and this decree has been made. She's like, he's, he's the one. So he freaks out a little bit. It says the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out to the palace guard. So what has happened here is that, that the king has got a dilemma on his hands, right? The queen has just said that Haman is the reason, and now the king is like, but this is my friend. This is a guy who I've elevated to second in command. He's my right-hand man. So I got a dilemma going on here, right? I, 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 got, I got an issue. I got to do something. I don't know what to do. He loves his queen very much, and he, he likes his right-hand dude a whole lot, and, and, and now he's all torn, and, and he goes out. He's just got to get away and, and think for a minute. But Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther. For he knew that the king intended to kill him. He knew what was going to happen if you threatened the queen. He knew what was supposed to happen. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So it was Persian law, just so you know, that nobody was supposed to approach the queen or, or the king's harem unless you were a eunuch, right? So everybody, okay, like, go ask your parents about that one. So anyway, so you weren't supposed to go anywhere near the queen unless you were a eunuch. And if you were, if you were not a eunuch and you were to go and approach the queen or go into the king's harem, uh, you were supposed to stay seven steps away from any of the women around, okay? That was the rule. That was the law. So Haman is so freaked out. He's pale, and, and he's just like, oh, I don't know what to do. The, the king's going to kill me. And so you would think he wouldn't forget about the Persian law, which says you're not supposed to go towards the queen. You would think that he would have his right mind about him and go, I'm not going to make things worse here. I'm, I'm going I'm to just stay back, but I'm going to plead for my life from the queen. That's not what he does. I don't know if his pride, I don't know if he lost his mind, I don't know what it is, but all I know is this, is he fell down on the couch where she was. I, I know that, that, you remember how we talked about God will sometimes give you enough rope to hang yourself with, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and he just, he, he wants to show you, man, he wants to, to like give you the opportunity for you to, to see who you really are. And you know that's going to happen one day, right? Like, like we're going to, 
We're going to be face to face with Jesus one day. And all the pretending and all, all the facades are going to go away. And it's going to be like, who are you? And who is he to you? And you're not going to be able to pretend. And you're not going to be able to just say, well, I went to church so-and-so, so-and-so. He's going to be like, okay, well, who was I to you? Who was I to you? You're not going to have your mom and daddy standing there to try to defend you or, or plead your case for you. It's just going to be your heart and Jesus. And you'll say, okay, who are you? Who are you? And I believe Haman's true heart came out right here. And he didn't care about anything but saving his own neck. And he falls down on this couch. And what he doesn't understand is that he has just signed his own death warrant. His pride has consumed him, and he's just thinking about his own neck, and he's not worried about any laws. He thinks he's above the law. He thinks he's beyond any decrees that have been made previously. And he falls down on the couch, and he's just like, please, please. And about that time, about that time, the king walks in. The king had been out there thinking, and maybe the king was like, well, should I do something? Should I not do something? We don't even know. We don't even know what the king had been thinking. The king may have like been to the point where he was like, well, you know what, Haman? I know you kind of messed up here, and I know you didn't make some good decisions, but tell you what, you just, you're not going to be my second-in-command anymore. You just go live somewhere else, and, 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 and we're going we're gonna to do our own thing here, and we're not going to kill the Jews, and, and we're going to let Esther live. And it, That could have been what he was going to say. But that's not, that's not the situation Haman's in now because the king walks back in, and he's laying down on the couch with the queen. That ain't so good for somebody in Persia at this time. The king loses his mind. The king exclaimed, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? As soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. So the king really didn't even have to say anything at all. I mean, he just said... He just said, is he going to assault the queen right here in front of me? Now, I don't know if, if he meant molest the queen or touch the queen or, or kill the queen or whatever. All, all I know is he says, he says, are you really going to do this right here in front of me? Is this what's going to happen in front of me right here? And that's all he has to say, and the guards know to come and cover up his face. Now, I don't know if they put a bag on his head. I don't, I don't know if they just wrapped something around his face. They just covered his face and said, this is your end. I just picture, for some reason in my head, them putting a bag over his head and just dragging him out of the place. All the, all the king had to say is, is like, look, he's right here, and he's close to the queen, and look, you can't do that. You can't do that. And sure enough, sure enough, Haman meets his doom right here. And what do we see? Then Horbona, one of the king's eunuchs, Said now, I this is kind of interesting to me. Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands seventy-five feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Now I don't know who this dude is, Harbona. I kind of want to meet him. What I imagine happened here is that he was like maybe uh, around Haman a lot, and he saw how prideful and evil, evil he was. And as soon as he got the chance to sell that dude out, he did, didn't he? Like, you know what happens when you're prideful and evil? You got a bunch of people waiting for your day. You got a bunch of people going, man, I can't wait till your, uh, what's going around comes around. It comes to your doorstep. I can't wait for that. So what does he say? The king goes, what are we supposed to do with him? And, and Harbona goes, I got an idea. Let me tell you uh, what we can do. See, Mordecai, he, 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 he or, or Haman actually put this pole in his front yard to put Mordecai on top of 
to impale him. And, 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 and you remember Mordecai was the guy that saved your neck one day. And, and like he was, just, he was just almost enthusiastic. You can hear his enthusiasm almost in this passage where he is excited to tell the king what, what was planning to happen here. So I think we know what happens. Then impale Haman on it. The king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. And the king's anger subsided. So what do we see here? We see a prideful man full of evil intentions. Because his pride had gotten a hold of him, Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him and it made him angry. He erected a pole in his front yard and said, we're going to impale Mordecai on it and the king's going to give the decree to do that. He goes to the king to do that and the tables have turned. You know why the tables have turned? Because God's in control. Because God's in control. And we see that over and over again in these passages that we read from the book of Esther. We see that God's constantly working things out. And in our lives, man, we, 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 just, we worry so much about tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And, and we have so many doubts about whether God is present or whether God is really doing something. I want you to understand that, 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 that God is using people we cannot even imagine. People that sometimes we think are wicked and evil. He's using that to shape the surroundings around us so that he might receive glory from that. We, we've got to take the blinders off sometimes, and we've got to see things the way God does, and we've got to see that there's a bigger, a bigger picture out there. There's more, puzzles to, to, there's more puzzle pieces out there than we can actually recognize with our feeble, humble, earthly brains. I want us to recognize for just a second that God may be using the evil people around us, the evil people around us, to set up things in such a way that God may say, you know what, this is your time, this is your place, and I'm going to receive glory from your life, and you're going to, the glory of God is going to be, re- re- be seen through you. See, I want to show you something here up on the screen. This time last year, we were doing a Boston Butt fundraiser for a, for a group in Birmingham called Never Thirst. And they provide water wells and, and clean water to places in Cambodia and the Sudan. Uh, places that don't have access to clean water. And they use that as a catalyst to be able to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to show you some pictures up here on the screen. We raised money for this project through Never Thirst. And they sent us an email this week. You see, those people in Cambodia were probably thinking, man, i got to walk so far to get water every single day. Here's a testimony of the Kyo Sam, she says, I'm 25 years old, married with two children, one son and one daughter. My village doesn't have access to a water supply. I travel a long way each day to get two or three carries of water to bring back home. She says, each day I use water from a small stream or rainwater. During the dry season, it's hard to get water because the well dries out. Sometimes I use water uh, from a public pond, but the cattle can get into the pond. And it's not very hygienic. Drinking water from the pond causes us to be sick. But now, but now we have a new well close to our home. It makes me able to quickly collect water. So now my family doesn't spend a long time getting water. Since I received the hand pump, my family has had good health because of the clean water. Now we do not worry about running out for water as we did before. Thank you 
never thirst donor. You see, she may have been asking, where is God? Where is God? God, do you not see that I have to walk miles and miles and miles to reach clean water? Do you not see how difficult this is for me to do? And what she didn't know, that there were some people on the other side of the world that cared enough and cared enough about the gospel, said, you know what? I'll give money to Never Thirst. We'll collect money and we'll, we'll do a water project for Never Thirst. And then that, that drilling well showed up one day. Where's God? He showed up with a drilling well. And we see some other pictures here. Go back to the pictures of them preparing the, the ground where the well's going to be. They're going and they box it in, get rid of the concrete ready to go in here. Can you imagine the excitement on their face? They realize, you know what? God didn't show up exactly the way I thought he would. He showed up in the form of, of some guys with some wood in this, this drill. And that, that picture that you just saw was her standing behind or standing beside the, the pump. And then there's another picture I want you to see. This is the man who's the pastor there. He's standing beside the, that's him right there. And his name is Soon Art. He says, I am 60 years old and my wife is 61. We have seven children, two sons and five daughters. This is what he says. He said, he was called to ministry and because one day he, he was out in, in, in a tribal field and he saw their ceremonies. He saw that, that they were making sacrifices of animals to, to devil spirits for their forgiveness. He says, because they thought that that spirit helped them uh, from, from their sins and from the evil things that they do. He says, when I saw that, he said, I fell down on my face and began to pray. To ask God how we can help them. He said, so I kept praying every day. God has answered my prayers when he sent Never Thirst to share this project with us. He says, nowadays we see that my church and ministry have grown. And now we have five churches through the Well Project. This gives us the opportunity for ministry and connects me with other villages to share the gospel especially with the village chief and the commune chief it makes it easier to work with them since we receive the well project that you guys have sponsored he says we always listen to this you know how the word is the most important thing and you know how we say that over and over and over again in this place this is what he says we always follow the word of God and then he quotes Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God bless you all. Amen. He says, it's so cool. You know what he said at the end? He said, Go and make disciples. And what does God say? I'm with you. I'm with you. There may have been at some point in time where, where he was trying to reach communities around there and he was trying to build churches, he was trying to build church homes and all that and he wasn't able to or he, he questioned whether or not he'd be able to. And the reality is this place called Neverthirst showed up with a well and they started digging out for a well and they started preparing the land there to be able to have a concrete platform for them to be able to draw water. 
now he says because of that we're able to reach these communities that we weren't able to reach before he says when God says behold I am with you even to the end of the age he's serious about that for you and your life and your question whether or not God is there or God is present or God is real or God is doing anything in your life I promise you I promise you he is and there could very well be just on the other uh, on the other side of the horizon you're never thirst that shows up. You're living water that shows up and says, here I am. I am real and I am present in your life and I have not forgotten about you and I am right here. There's a hope that exists when, when you have hope about that thing that is to come. And it's called faith. It's called faith. When you have hope in something you cannot see but you know it's out there. It's called faith. You know, you know what God wants us to have more than anything else? He wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to look up at our Abba Father and just call out to him and say, I trust you and I believe that there is a hope for me. That is the same thing that was going on in Esther's life. It's the same thing that was going on in Mordecai's life when he was supposed to be impaled upon a pole. It's the same thing that's going on in your life. I'm saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me that there's a plan. So if you're in doubt of that today, I just want to invite you to come. And this is what I want you to say God, to God. I want you to say, I trust you. Whatever it is that you have in store for me, I trust you. And I trust you completely. It's painful right now. It's hurtful right now. But I trust you. Let's just do that today. Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you, God, that you're able to use us in this simple church in order to be able to bring you glory. There are people out there, God, that that feel like they have no hope, that there's no hope for them. I pray that we'd be the light of this world and we would show them there is a hope and it comes from the Lord God Almighty. God, there are people with stuff going on in their lives right now and and they're wondering, God, where you are, how you could possibly be in this situation, how you could be right there. I pray that today you've reminded them that you're at work. God, though you may not be seen, God, you're constantly at work in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would just humbly come before you and just ask. That we would just say, God, the thing that we need to say, I need your help. I need your help. God, and I pray that we'd just be reminded. I just reminded, God, that you're trustworthy, that you are indeed a good father, and that we can trust you. And I pray that the other thing that we would say, right on the other side of I need your help, you see what we would say, I trust you. So, Lord Jesus, speak to your people now. Open their eyes. Open to their, their eyes to the fact that you are real and you are present in this place. And God, though you may seem distant, you are not distant and you are right here with us. You are so incredibly good to us, Father. God, we need you so much, but we also trust you so much. So, Lord, do a great work. In Jesus' name, amen.